Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. So a lot of times we don't realize what we rely on until it doesn't work. Um, A couple years ago for Thanksgiving, my family and I flew down to uh, Texas to visit some friends and it was a lot of fun. We had a great time in Texas until the day we came back. Uh, I woke up with a headache and so I asked my friend uh, Jody if he had any um, headache medicine and he gave me um, an over-the-counter med that I hadn't had before and so um, I took it and then on the way back I started to get really stomach sick. Like all of a sudden I had this reaction and I had to have them pull over on the side of the road and, and I, you know, I did my thing on the side of the road there uh, several times. And so I made it to the airport and just, just squeezed through uh, security. They almost didn't let me on the plane because of what was going on, but I did get on. Uh, so my wife, as I'm fighting my stomach, she's wrestling our three kids and it was uh, pretty exhausting. And so anyways, we fly from Texas home to Seattle. We're all exhausted. I haven't eaten anything all day. Uh, and we get in the ride to go to the parking lot where our van is. And we get all the kids loaded. We get everything loaded in the van. And I go to turn the key, and the van doesn't start. And it's like, are you serious? Are you kidding me right now? Like, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. The kids are screaming. And the van doesn't start. I tried it again. Nothing. And so I went to the, the attendant, and they had a charger there, and I plugged it in, and I charged, uh, charged the van, and we sat there for one hour as this charger just kind of slowly charged our vehicle. So finally, when we could get the car started, we drove straight home. We didn't stop the car once because we didn't want it to die on us again. You know, we were relying on that van's power to get, get us home, but then when it didn't, we had a little crisis. And so we Christians, we talk about this thing called the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples as he was leaving in, in Acts 1, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit's the power of God for our lives. But the question is, do we live by that power? You know, what if Bonnie and I, in that moment of crisis, if we just decided, you know what, forget engines. We're going to push this van home by ourselves. <laughs> We're just going to do it. Get the kids in there. We're just going to push this van home all by ourselves. We probably wouldn't have gotten out of SeaTac. We probably would have been arrested for recklessly endangering our kids. <laughs> but I wonder if that's sometimes how we try to live the Christian life without the power of God. If we're just trying to push it along and do everything we can and strive and stress and we end up getting nowhere. You know, I feel that way sometimes. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed by the amount of stuff coming at me. Maybe I've neglected the only power that can handle all the stuff. And sometimes we do that. And when Jesus left earth, he gave his disciples this gift of the Holy Spirit. He said in John 14 that the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's our teacher. He's the one who guides us. And so today I want to wrestle with that question. Are we relying on the Holy Spirit in our lives? 
Last week, we started this series called Hey Church, um, which I'm glad we have the uh, titles up there because I told a group of pastors I was doing a series called Hey Church, and they thought I said hate church. It's <laughs> Hey Church. Um, but we started this series called Hey Church. They were, they were taken aback, really. It was pretty... Uh, but we're looking at this letter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter all about the health of the church, what makes for a healthy church. And Paul wrote this letter. He had planted this church in Corinth. He had spent a year and a half there. And after he left, he got a report that things weren't going so well. In Corinth, there was a lot of division. Um, there were a lot of people falling back into, into different vices, sins, all sorts of things. And so as a spiritual father, Paul writes this letter to lovingly correct his, his kids who have gotten off track. Um, so in chapter 2, Paul talks about why the church should rely on the Holy Spirit, like why the church needs to be formed and walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Basically, if the Holy Spirit isn't present in the church, there's no transforming power in the church. If the Spirit isn't present, there's no transforming power. It's not effective. The only effective church is one, is one that leans on the power of God. And so today, you know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's almost like a weird thing to talk about. It's almost like people are a little all over the place when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And uh, Francis Chan talked about this in his book, Forgotten God, which if you haven't read it, is a great book. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Um, but he says this. He says, some people talk a lot about, even boast of, the Spirit, but their lives do not bear his fruit. Others speak of the Holy Spirit in theoretical or scholarly terms, yet do not experience him at work. Still others ignore him for all practical purposes, and as you might expect, rarely experience relationship or intimacy with the Spirit. And then there is that rare person who doesn't talk frequently about the Spirit, yet whose life is a powerful display of his presence and activity. And we're kind of all over the map when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And now, I don't know if you think about him much. I don't know if, if, if the Holy Spirit is something that you think about, if it seems weird, if, uh, or, or if you're very comfortable to the point where, man, you long for the Spirit. Like, you come to a church and you, and you want to feel the Holy Spirit present. Probably all of us land somewhere on that spectrum. And so today I want to look at how Paul talks about the Holy Spirit from 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to start in verse 1. He says this. And when I came to you, brothers, uh, sorry, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul goes back and he reminds the Corinthians why they signed up to be Christians in the first place. He says, hey, I didn't win you over with some magnificent speech that I gave. I didn't have lists of, of uh, like, I didn't have a PowerPoint presentation that would knock your socks off. I didn't have all these killer arguments that could shut down any reason why you shouldn't follow Jesus. I didn't have this personality that just naturally attracted people to, to me. Instead, I just had the Holy Spirit. 
All I had was the Holy Spirit. He said, I came to them in weakness and fear and much trembling. Like he was shaking and scared, basically, when he spoke to them. Which is maybe what we would feel like if, we, you know, if you've ever felt like, oh, I need to share my faith with this person. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's kind of a nervous, you know, feeling sometimes. Um, maybe he felt that way. And so Paul, instead, he kept his message solely focused on the cross, Christ and him crucified. Jesus and the cross, that's it. That we can receive forgiveness for our sins, that we can receive salvation uh, at the cross. But Paul's shaky, rambling message, it connected through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was like a translator that took Paul's words and uh, made them make sense to people's hearts. And this is the point, is that our weakness never threatens God's power. Our weakness, our, our human weakness, it never threatens God's power. All Paul did was show up. He was just in the place God wanted him to be at the time God wanted him to be there, and God did the rest. He was just faithful to what God called him to do. He didn't over-prepare. He just showed up, and that was enough for the Spirit of God to reach people. Because that's the idea. The Holy Spirit shows up in our weakness. When, when we're at our worst, he can be at his best. And I wonder if you think back, has there ever been a time where you, you felt God show up for you in a moment where you needed him? Um, I had a, in, in my freshman year of college, I took this speech class. And every, it was, it was pretty tough because every uh, class time, twice a week, we had to give a speech. So three-minute speech each time we came to class. We had to have this short little thing prepared. And they were always about personal things, just to make it even more awkward. Um, we had to share about our personal lives. We had people break down crying in class. So it was just, it was just a class filled with anxiety. Oh. And every speech I gave for the first five weeks, I bombed every speech. It was terrible. Um, I was intimidated. I was nervous. I'd fidget. I dance around. I, I, some of these things I still do, probably. Um, but then one day, our professor said, okay, here we go. Over the, it's over the weekend. Your next speech is going to be, I believe in dot, dot, dot. It's like, oh, man. So I went to a public university, right? I'm like, oh, man. Am I supposed to share my faith? I was wrestling with this. Should I actually share my faith? Uh, part of me wanted to find a way around it, right? Like, Maybe I can say I believe in a strong economy. I don't know. I can find something else. Uh, I can find something else to talk about. You know, and I went home, and I talked to my friend Jonah. And Jonah was like, oh, man, you've got to talk about God. You've got to talk about Jesus. And so since he said it, I, I had to do it, right? Because I didn't want to look like a coward. And so there was no going back. And so I wrote this speech. It was called I Believe in God's Grace. And I don't even remember what was in there, uh, and I was nervous about it. It was like, you ever have that thing that's just looming in the future that you know is coming, that you really aren't looking forward to? That was this thing. And when that Tuesday afternoon rolled around, I was tense. Uh, I was listening to these other speeches. Nobody was talking about God. So I was like, great, it's on me to break the ice here. And I got up there, and I said, I believe in God's grace crickets, right? And I went into this three-minute speech, and I don't even remember what I was saying. It just
like the air was sucked out of the room. It just felt really dead. And then after I finished the speech, there was this little pause, and all of a sudden, I, and I'm not joking, there was like a roar of applause. <laughs> like, whoa! Because I had bombed every speech, right? <laughs> One guy actually stood up. Uh, and there was something in that moment. It was like, wow, if I just talk about God, he actually shows up in this speech. I came into it like a nervous wreck. I had never been more nervous about a speech. And it was actually a moment where God said, no, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I got this. I'm with you. And it was such a significant moment for me. I was like, hey, maybe, you know, maybe I should think about doing this more often. And then I could be nervous every week. It'd be great. It'd be awesome. But, but we're too quick to decide for ourselves what we can do and what we can't do for God. We are too quick to decide for ourselves what we can do and what we can't do for God. I can't share my faith boldly. I can't be a foster parent. I can't give what God's asking me to give. But are we focused in those moments? Are we focused on our weakness or are we focused on God's strength? Are we focused too much on our weakness? Do we forget how big, how great, how strong our God is? You know, sometimes I think we expect to feel like a, just an extreme amount of peace when God calls us to do something. Like, well, if God called me to do it, I would feel completely comfortable with it. I don't think that's the case. I don't think God is asking us to be comfortable. I think he's calling us into courage. We have to be courageous and expect that the Spirit will meet us in those moments when we're faithful to what God asks us to do. And that's what Paul demonstrated for us. It was all about courage. I'm going to show up. I don't care if I look like a fool. I'm just going to share the gospel. He was there to rely on the Spirit and not just be comfortable with what was familiar. And I think that on our own strength, we can do some nice things. We can do some good things. We can help people. But if I look at the life of Jesus, if I look at the life of Paul, they didn't do nice things. They did extraordinary things. Like things that are only explainable through the Spirit of God. You know, what if we really believed that the Holy Spirit could actually do anything through us? Would we pray for people differently? Would we pray for healing for people? Would we pray that God would release people from addiction and believe that he could? I don't know what it is, but if we really believe that the Holy Spirit could do anything, wouldn't we bank everything on that? Because God wants to demonstrate his power through people who are weak but willing, who know that they're weak but are willing to rest in the strength of God. Paul said in verse 4 that his message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul's saying that if you want proof that our faith is real, that comes from experiencing the Holy Spirit. That comes from God actually confirming it in your heart. It doesn't rely on persuasive arguments the PowerPoint presentation. Because when our faith is under heat, the PowerPoint presentation won't carry you through. It comes through experience. Your faith can't grow from just jumping from like sermon to sermon, 
Sunday to Sunday, event to event, it has to rely on the presence of God in your life. Your faith has to rest on experiencing the power of God in your life. And so here's the point that Paul is making. He's saying that disciples don't just lean on what they know about God. They lean on what they've seen God do. We lean on what we've seen God do in our lives. Because when it comes to having a strong faith in God, experience will always beat intelligence. It's not what you know, it's who you know. You know, you can know everything. You can know all the arguments. You can be ready if someone throws you a zinger. You can know how to respond. But the real proof of God is his own spirit. When Paul uses this word demonstration, he means that the Holy Spirit proves God. To demonstrate is to prove something in, in, in this language. And the Holy Spirit is this ultimate proof of God to the world. Um, because when our faith is tested, it's that experience that we'll go back to. You know, when I get stressed or weary or, or feel, um, you know, I start, like I'm starting to doubt, I don't go back to all, the, all the, the stuff I know as much as I go back to remembering the times when God spoke to me, when God moved in my life. I remember those times when he showed up, like, like in that speech class and in different things. The times where I felt him close, I remember those times. Not to say that knowing about God isn't important. It is. But it's those times where we experience the Spirit of God, where we see God at work, that we can really bank on. The proof, of, the proof God offers you is that Spirit of God at work in your life. Uh, the problem that we have is that we are always fighting against our own human wisdom. Like, we have our own wisdom that we fight against. And this is what Paul talks about in verse 6. He says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. So Paul is saying that we can give wisdom um, to those who are spiritual but it's, it's incompatible with the wisdom of this age. Um, God calls out, or Paul calls out the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age as those who are going to pass away. Like there's so much coming at us today that's in the moment. That won't matter 20, 30, 40 years from now. And he doesn't want us to get caught up in the wisdom of this age, the rulers of this age, because the moment will pass away. The wisdom of today is always changing. The news stories are always changing. The latest social movements and trends are always changing. And so instead of spending a lot of time listening to today's talking heads, we need to spend more time listening to the Spirit of God. Often the people with the largest platform today are the people who dominate our thinking, right? The people who have the biggest platform, they're on the biggest stage, they tend to be the people we think about politicians, radio hosts, whoever. The issues of today fill up like the spaces in our day. That's what we think about. And so I guess the question is, what are you going to allow to shape your life? The, the, the white space in your life, the noise in your life. Are you going to allow the present, the wisdom of the age to fill that, or will you allow the Spirit of God to fill that? Because it's too easy to get trapped in the moment. 
Paul talks about this idea that we in Christ, we've received a secret and hidden wisdom. It's like, it's a wisdom that has to be searched out, searched for. You know, and I think about that. What's, what's the, where do we search for wisdom today? Twitter? Anybody? Um, Facebook? Google? Yes. Siri, what is wisdom? Um, no. We search for it in the scriptures, right? So that means, like, instead of going to Twitter, instead of going to these default places, if we want to search out the the hidden and secret wisdom of God, we've got to be in scripture. Uh, We've got to be uh, talking to each other. We've got to be praying with each other, asking for that wisdom of God. That's how we're different than the world, right? If If we're listening to all the same people, We're not going to be different from the world, but the way we become different is to seek out that secret and hidden wisdom of God. Because I believe that if people really knew about God's kingdom, they'd sign up for that. They would sign up to be a part of God's kingdom. If they really knew, like, the peace and the joy and the love and the community that's found in God's kingdom, people would sign up for that kingdom. They wouldn't be caught up in the wisdom and the rulers of the age. People don't realize how great the kingdom of God is. But we can trade that for this passing moment. And that's what we've got to watch out for. Are we trading the pursuit of the kingdom of God for pursuit of the kingdom of now? What's going to matter in 100 years? Think about that. What kingdom are we living for? What if we lived with a 100-year perspective? What's going to matter to me a hundred years from now? My house? My opinions? No, what's going to matter is that you and your family have accepted and are following Jesus. Jesus is going to be the only thing that matters that could bridge the now and a hundred years from now. So that's what to live for. And so because of that, Jesus owns the market on wisdom, the wisdom that matters. Now, I know like Dr. Oz, he could help you with some of your ailments and aches and pains, but Jesus is the only one who can offer eternal life, a life that doesn't end. And this is kingdom wisdom. Jesus said, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. That's this upside-down wisdom of the kingdom. You know, it's basically, do you want to live for your temporary life or your eternal life? What's going to drive What's going to drive the way you live? And so Paul closes out the chapter this way. He says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So you see, there's two things going on right here. There's two spirits, basically, that we can choose to operate under. We can choose to operate under the spirit of the world. Like, do what everybody else is doing. Or we can choose to operate under the Spirit of God. 
We can open ourselves to be led by the Spirit of God. And so that's the question for you. Which, which spirit are you going to operate under? Paul says that these spiritual things only make sense to those who are open to the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can make, can make sense of God for us. So knowing this, Paul doesn't reduce uh, his message or try to, try to put it in, um, try, to, try to make sense of spiritual things through worldly knowledge. No, he, he tries to appeal to uh, the spiritual man with spiritual knowledge. Um, in the Bible reading plan in Acts, uh, we, what grabbed my attention this week is Acts 10. When Peter shares the gospel with the Gentiles for the first time, and you kind of see uh, what Paul is talking about here. Um, when Peter shares the gospel with the Gentiles, this is what happens. He says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So it, the Holy Spirit just fell when they heard the word of God. Like it just was, was present and it came through them just hearing the word. They were saved just by, by hearing the word because the Holy Spirit translated it for them. It made, made sense of it then and there. On the other side, Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of God. So the choice is to view the world through God's lens or to view things through as a natural person. And that phrase natural person actually means those of like an animal soul. Um, which if I think about, I think about the idea of an animal, an animal is focused on what? Survival, right? It's like, so natural mind is focused on survival. Where can I find food? Where can I sleep? Cows aren't out there in the field thinking about how can I be eternally significant, right? They're just thinking about, okay, where's the hay, man? Where's the hay? Get me to the barn. So Paul's saying the spiritual person judges all things through the eternal perspective. The spiritual person, he measures all of life through an eternal perspective. Am I living for what matters in eternity? Am I loving people in a way that will matter for eternity? Like, it might feel more comfortable for a moment uh, not to talk uh, about your faith with others, but what's going to matter for eternity? What's really love? Would be to tell them the good news about Jesus. And so Paul says that through the Spirit of God, here's what blows my mind. He says, through the Spirit of God, we've received the mind of Christ. We've received the mind of Christ. That's, that's kind of like crazy talk. How is it possible for us to receive the mind of Christ. You mean that I could look at the world the same way that Jesus looks at the world. It's kind of hard to fathom. That it's possible for us to look and love people as deeply as Jesus looked and loved people. Uh, that we'd be able to sacrifice as much as Jesus sacrificed. Be willing to sacrifice in, in, a, in a, the same way. But here, here's the point, and here's where the two connect, is that the only way we can hope to live like Jesus is to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit, to put our full weight, to put our trust in the Spirit of God at work in our lives. When we come into crisis in our lives, when we come into points of decision, when we come into um, confusion, are we leaning into the Spirit of God, or are we leaning into our own wisdom?
Because if we want to be like Jesus, we must all learn to trust the Spirit of God instead of ourselves. The first part of, the, of our mission statement at Christ the King, I really like. It says, we are called to be an authentic Christian community. I like that phrase, authentic Christian community. But I think the problem we have is when we stop at the word authentic, and we don't add Christian, right? We want to be an authentic community. Well, we, we don't just want to be an authentic community. We want to be an authentic Christian community. That means we want to be an authentic community, the community that lives by the Spirit of God. That we want to be Jesus people. We want to be authentically Jesus, not just authentically ourselves. And so I want to be authentic as a church, but I want to be authentically of the Spirit. I want us to be authentically of the Spirit so that we can authentically look like Jesus to the world. And that's what we're after. So what that means is we're not going to seek human joy. We're going to seek the joy that only God can provide authentically from God. We're not going to seek human peace. We're going to seek peace that's authentically from God's Spirit. We're not just going to love in the ways that we know. We're going to lean on the Spirit and allow Him to pour His love into our hearts. But we've got to be willing to learn, learn, uh, learn and trust the Spirit of God. And so as we close, I just want to offer some steps. How do we get there? What are the things we need to do? Because when you talk about the Holy Spirit, like it can feel kind of all over the place. And what, what are some steps that we can take today to help us re to rely on the Spirit of God? The first is we can identify, okay, where am I leaning on human wisdom? Where am I leaning on human wisdom? What do I need to repent of? What am I putting too much weight in? We, we take in a lot of human wisdom today, and I mentioned the internet earlier, but, but it seems like there are articles, there are things to basically justify whatever we want to do, right? Like I've, you know, we, I've seen people justify affairs, all sorts of stuff, with what they find online. And I feel like we live in an age of self-affirmation, right? Like we can, we can just affirm ourselves and, and, and uh, kind of do whatever we want to do, but if our first step might need to be repenting of that self-affirmation. Do we want affirmation for ourselves from others, or do we want affirmation from God, from God's Spirit? At the end of the day, don't you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? Like, that is affirmation. And so we might need to pray, God, what needs to change? What needs to change in me? So that I can live, rely more on your spirit. God, where have I allowed human wisdom to shape my life? And the second question is, what do we replace it with? Paul talks about that secret and hidden wisdom from God. How do we pursue that? Well, we pursue that time in his word, time praying, time together worshiping, praying, sharing burdens confessing when we need to confess, but holding each other up. And so my encouragement is to get around, to get around people, and, and that's my hope for this church, that can help you to do that. Hey, let's seek God together. Let's pray together. You have a need, let's pray for it. Uh, let, let's uh, support each other. And finally, and, and uh, worship team, you can come up. Finally, we trust God and we leave the results up to him. 
You know, we trust God. That's the beauty of, of relying on the Spirit is we trust God and we, we leave the results up to Him. You know, I want badly for people to know Jesus. Um, I want badly for Blaine to be transformed. Like, I pray in Blaine as it is in heaven. Um, but that means that if all that stuff is going to happen, I've got to rely on God's Spirit to do it. I've got to rely on Him to do it and just be faithful to what He asks me to do, specifically. And sometimes that's going to mean stepping into discomfort. Sometimes that's going to mean stepping into things that are, uh, are difficult for me. But if I rely on the Spirit of God, I know that He can take my meager attempts and multiply them and make them effective. So let's take those uncomfortable steps and rely on the Spirit of God together.